Hello, this is Carefully Examining the Text, and today we find ourselves in Psalm 52. Psalm 52 is one of the psalms that is tied to historical circumstances in the life of David. There's some 13 psalms that do this. Psalm 52 says, For the choir director, a mascal of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, David inquired of the Lord from Ahimelech. He asked him for bread and asked him for a sword. And the text tells us that Doeg the Edomite was there. Later, when Saul is talking to his men and accusing David of causing a conspiracy against him, he says, none of you are for me. None of you tells me when my son sides with the son of Jesse. And Doeg the Edomite speaks up and says what Ahimelech had done. Ultimately, Doeg kills Ahimelech and the 85 priests in the city of Nob. This seems to be the background for the writing of Psalm 52. And listen to the text. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, a worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right, Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living, Selah. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him, saying, Behold the man who has not made God his refuge, and, and tr but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and he was strong in his evil desire. But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give you thanks forever because you have done it, and I will wait on your name, for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. Now, several things that are interesting there. Verses 1 through 4 are a characterization of the wicked person. Verse 5 describes God's judgment upon the wicked. And verses 6 through 9 describe the righteous person his response to God, and his response to the wicked's fall. In verses 1 through 4, as the wicked are described, and even in verse 5, as God's judgment on them is described, Psalm 52, 1 through 5, speaks to the wicked person in second person. He is addressed in second masculine singular terms. But in verses 6 and 7, the righteous and the wicked are spoken of in third person, but then in verses 8 and 9, the righteous person speaks in first person. I am a green olive tree in the house 
of God. Many psalms begin with why. Sometimes that question why is addressed to God. Here, that question why is addressed to the wicked. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The word for boast is used 165 times in the Old Testament, over half of them in the book of Psalms, 37 of them in Psalms 145 through 150 alone. This word is used repeatedly in that section, and it's translated praise, and usually the object of praise is the Lord particularly in Psalms 145 through 150, that is always the case. But here the object of praise or the object of boasting is not the Lord, but evil. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? And I think this is a mock. To Doeg. It's mocking him. He has killed 85 unarmed priests. Does that make you a mighty man? The term mighty man is used with sarcasm. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? Now, some of your translations differ at the end of verse 1 because some of our ancient authorities differ. There's a difference between the Hebrew text and the Greek and Syriac translations of verse 1. But the New American Standard says the loving kindness of the Lord endures all day long. The New American Standard makes this a contrast between the boasting of the wicked man in evil and God's loving kindness, which constantly protects his people. But the text goes on in verses 2 through 4 to describe the character of the wicked. The character of the wicked and particularly the damage that he does via his tongue. In verse 2, your tongue devises destruction like a sharp arrow, a worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. The tongue devises destruction. The tongue is pictured as a sharp razor. It is a deadly weapon which can cut and dice and slice. The tongue like a sharp razor. And the tongue is said to utter words that devour, that consume at the first of verse 4. Now there are several things said in the surrounding Psalms about the damage that the tongue can do. In Psalm 55 and verse 21, the Bible talked about the man whose words were smoother than butter, yet they were drawn swords. While his words are smooth, his words are swords that do great damage. In Psalm 57, in verse 4, My soul is among lions. I will lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue are a sharp sword. 
in Psalm 64 in verses 3 and 4. The Bible talks about some who have sharpened their tongue like a sword and aimed bitter speech like an arrow to shoot from concealment at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. All of these passages describe the tongue as a deadly weapon which can do destructive damage. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. It has the power to destroy and do harm. It has the power to heal. Death and life are both in its power. These Psalms particularly highlight its destructive power, as James 3 also does in the New Testament, when it talks about the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity among our members. It sets on fire fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. How many times have you been present to hear someone cut and diced and sliced with the tongue? The tongue is a deadly, deadly weapon. But for these evil men who do great damage via the tongue, they are told that God will bring them down. Verse 5 is truly the turning point of Psalm 52. After the description of the wicked in verses 1 through 4, and before the description of the righteous in verses 6 through 9, the Bible tells us it uses four verbs with God's actions, emphasizing that He will bring judgment upon the wicked. But God will break down forever, verse 5 says. Just as Israel was told when they went into the land of Canaan to break down the idols of the nations in Daniel 7 in verse 4 and 5, in Daniel 12 and verse 3, God will break down the wicked, God, godless person. In verse 5, he will snatch up and he will tear away from your tents. He will snatch up, he will tear away. And then in verse 5, he will uproot from the land of the living. An agricultural term. This plant is pulled up, pulled up by the roots so that it would be unable to bear fruit. But these verbs break down, snatch up, tear away, and uproot are all used to describe God's violent judgment upon the wicked. God will bring down the wicked. This psalm is showing us that our God is powerful enough to deal with the wicked type men like Doeg who use their tongue as a weapon to destroy innocent men like Ahimelech the priest and those associated with him. God is able to deal with them, and God will break them down and snatch them up and tear them away and uproot them. And in verse 6, the text focuses on the righteous. The righteous sees what happens to the wicked. He sees and he fears. It's an object lesson to him not to walk down this path. 
not to use his tongue for destruction and damage, not to seek to destroy others. Don't do that. Life is too short to make every mistake yourself. Learn from the mistakes of others. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him. Laugh at him. Is that appropriate? That we laugh at the fall of the wicked? The Bible tells us to not rejoice at calamity that falls to our enemy. In Proverbs 24, in verse 17, and yet at the same time, the Bible tells us that God laughs at the wicked. Three times in the book of Psalms, the same verb that is used in Psalm 52.6 is used to describe God's response to the wicked. In Psalm 2.4, Psalm 37.13, and in Psalm 59 verse 8. In these three verses, God is said to laugh to mock, in effect, the wicked. Is it ungodly for us to imitate God's actions in this regard? No, I think there is a place for both. There is a place for us when we see our worst enemy fall to be grieved and to be saddened, for we see, for we see the sad end of someone who has opposed God. At the same time, there is something to learn from it, to say, I will not walk from that down that path. And the one who walks down that path is walking in a foolish way. And we laugh, we mock it that way, for we know that it's the way of destruction. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him, saying, Behold the man who did not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. As the Bible describes the wicked, it says that he trusted in the abundance of his wealth. We saw some in Psalm 49 who trusted in their wealth, but death was their shepherd, and ultimately they had to give it all back. But notice that the word trust or trusted is used in consecutive verses. In verse 7, it describes the wicked who trusted in the abundance of their riches. But in verse 8, it describes the righteous who trust in the loving kindness of God forever. What this psalm is doing is showing us two roads like Psalm 1 did. It's showing us the way of the wicked. It's showing us the way of the righteous. And it's an appeal to us to choose righteousness because we see the demise of the wicked and we see the blessing of the righteous. It is an appeal to us to choose the right way. It contrasts the one who trusts in the abundance of their wealth versus one who trusts in the loving kindness of God. 
We noticed earlier in verse 5 that an agricultural term was used to describe God's judgment of the wicked, that he uprooted them from the land of the living. But notice how another agricultural term is used here in verse 8. As for me, I am a green olive tree in the house of God. A green olive tree would be this tree when it was at its most healthy point. And olive trees can produce as much as six gallons of olive oil a year, a precious commodity in the land of Israel. And they can live upward of a thousand years. It is one of the most fruitful. It is a tree, one of the trees with the greatest period of long long yet of of living a long time and the bible says i am a green olive tree in the house of god the longevity of that tree contrast in verse 5 with the fact the wicked are uprooted verse 9 i will give thanks forever Because you have done it, I will wait on your name, for it is good in the presence of your godly one. This psalm opened with the wicked man boasting in evil, but it closes with the godly man giving thanks to God and praising his name. Psalm 52 sets two paths before us, life and death. The way of the wicked in verses 1 through 4 that leads to death and destruction, according to verse 5. And righteousness in verses 6 through 9, which leads to life. And as it sets these ways before us, it is an appeal for us to choose life. Choose life. Now, in Psalm 52, how are we taught? about Jesus. I noticed some of the words of Psalm 52 that are applied to the wicked that seem to be lived out in Jesus' experience. It is said of the wicked that he would be uprooted from the land of the living in verse 2. But Jesus was excuse me, verse 5, but Jesus was cut off from the land of the wicked of the land of the living, excuse me, in Psalm, in Isaiah 53, in verse 8. Let me make the comparison again. The wicked is uprooted from the land of the living, in Psalm 52, 5, and Jesus is cut off from the land of the living, in Isaiah 53, in verse 8. And just as the wicked is mocked at his demise, Jesus seemed to experience the fate of the wicked as he was mocked in his crucifixion in Matthew 27, verses 38 through 44. He saved others. He can't save himself. They mocked. Looking at the cross, it seemed like he was getting what he deserved. He was smitten, stricken of God, and afflicted. But on closer look, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. 
The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone away, gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is experiencing what we deserved. But Jesus suffered the same kind of violence from the tongue that the wicked dished out in Psalm 52 in verses in verses 2 through 4 Jesus experienced that same kind of violence of the tongue he experienced the, the plotted destruction and the sharp razors and being cut in two and devoured with their words but he didn't respond in kind in 1 Peter 2 and verse 23 and while Jesus, while Jesus in verse 1 experienced the mistreatment of evil men and the boasting of evil men, while he was hanging upon the cross, he showed us that the loving, God, the loving kindness of God endures all day long. The loving kindness of God was going on at the same moment that the wicked men were boasting in evil. And the word of salvation that Jesus sends forth, his word of salvation is sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 tells us, just as this tongue causes destruction and deadly and does great damage, and it can be described as a sword, it can be described as um, all types of weapons in in Psalm 52, verses 2 through 4, Jesus, Jesus' word is powerful, powerful to save in the same way. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. We do appreciate your attention. May the Lord bless you and may these thoughts help you with Psalm 52.